0: everybody, for everybody who doesn't know me, I'm Sam, I'm, uh, I have the privilege and the joy to, to serve here as one of the pastors. Uh, we will be resuming our series in 2 Peter, we'll be in 2 Peter 1, finishing up chapter 1 today, uh, starting with verse 12. So in the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the, the introduction to Peter's second letter to the same group of believers. If you'll recall, 1 Peter, written to exiles facing immense persecution, extreme suffering, forced out of their homes, falsely accused of something. talks to him about victory, victory in the midst of this. Then we come to his second letter, and now they're once again facing threat, but this time it's internal. This time it's false teachers, false teachings, threatening to erode the body and erode the church. And so he once again is writing to this group of people, and he's reminding them of victory now over false teaching. So if you would please uh, stand out of respect for the word of God. It's a kind of a bigger passage, so the whole passage won't be on the screen. Just listen along. Verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Lord, we are, we are so excited to dive into your word. What a rich treasure. What a delight. Jesus told the apostles and you tell us that the Holy Spirit who indwells us teaches us and guides us into understanding. What an honor it is to sit at your feet and to learn from you. May that be what happens this morning. Get rid of me. Get rid of me entirely. May we learn from you. Whatever of me is in this message, strike it from my memory. May we listen to your word with with ears opened by you, with hearts pierced by you and your word. We want to be like Jesus. We need to be like Jesus. It is a joy to pursue being like Jesus. So, use this time to make us holy. Sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. We give you all the praise for the privilege to sit here this morning and do so, free of fear, free of panic and anxiety that the doors are going to crash open at any moment. None of us drove here in secret. You are so good. We offer you this continuation of our worship through submitting to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So you've got two big chunks here. Quick caveat. And I do these things just so you guys know I'm not perfect. Uh, I put the wrong numbers up on the slides for the verses. So when you see 12 to 16, it's really 12 to 15. When you see 17 to 21, it's really 16 to 21. No big deal somebody's going to catch it, and yeah, I just made a mistake. So we're going to look at verses 12 to 15. I'm going to reread them. We're going to talk about them. Then we're going to look at verses 16 to 21. And I fully and freely admit that verses 12 to 15 are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, We had an elder meeting this week, and we did a pastoral review. And they were like, you know, they were like, I mean, you're you're pretty energetic. Like you you push the gas pedal pretty hard sometimes. And I was like, yeah, I'm really glad we're having this conversation before Sunday, um, because these verses they push the gas pedal, which I like. Verses 12 to 15. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. What qualities is he talking about? What we just spent several weeks on. Verses 3 through 8. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, self-control, knowledge brotherly love, agape love. So these qualities that we just looked at, he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I love those verses. They challenge me. They push me. The first thing they remind me of, life's short. I mean, there's no other way to describe this life than short. I'm going to be honest. You guys know me. I tend to speak pretty plainly up here. I love this body. I love the growth we are seeing in this body. I love the passion for one another that we're seeing grow in this body. I love what we are witnessing happening in this body. But there are a number of people in this body who, for whatever reason, some legitimate reasons, some maybe just excuses, but there are members in this body who we don't see at prayer times. We don't see at Bible studies. We don't see at retreats. There are members in this body who my only time with you, my only interaction with you, in terms of teaching you as, as the pastor, as the shepherd is called to do, I've got 35 minutes once a week. I'm not going to waste that time with my own thoughts and anecdotes and musings and wonderings. Ephesians 5 15 to 16 look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil life short and we're at war so I'm gonna do my best to make the best use of my time what does that look like well first it looks like reminders and Peter wasn't the only one with this focus Lest we make the mistake of thinking like, well, maybe Peter was on some sort of weird bent and Peter spent time reminding people, you know, move on to new stuff already, Peter. Now this is a theme of scripture. Paul writing in 2 Thessalonians says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So he's like, look, hey, what I'm writing about, we already talked about. Did you already forget? All right, I'm going to remind you again. Jude, in his letter, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. Throughout Scripture, we see that the leaders, the teachers, they honed in on what was essential, and they didn't hesitate to stay there. So that's part of what informs this. And then, first and foremost, you guys know what I say. Forget opinions. What does Scripture say about the matter? What does Scripture say when it comes to preaching and teaching Theology, the theology of preaching and teaching, what I believe about preaching and teaching, what does Scripture say the approaches. First, you have Acts 20, starting in verse 20, if I can turn there. You have Acts 20. This is Paul writing, and he says, You yourselves know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 26 and he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 1 Timothy 4, 11, 13, and 16, Paul is giving Timothy instructions on how to lead a church. And he says, command and teach these things. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation. That's a fancy word, that's a big word for challenge. Spurring one another on, moving forward. He says, devote yourself to these things, the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. 2 Timothy 4, 1-2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, challenge with complete patience and teaching. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're called to teach the word. We're not called to make apologies for the word. We're not called to hide the parts that may be tougher to understand. We're not called to gloss over the parts that may prick us in our conscience a little bit. We're not called to skip the parts that convict us. Paul says, I declared the whole counsel of God. So we're going to talk about grace. We're also going to talk about sanctification. We're going to talk about the beauty and mercy of forgiveness. We're also going to talk about the need of self-awareness and repentance. And we're going to persist in these things. That's why there's a lot of scripture in my sermons. Because God's word is living, active, and sharper than any double-edged sword. My words, they're dead and dull. Y'all don't need to hear my words on a Sunday morning. We need to hear God's word. And Peter says this. He says, I intend always to remind you of these things. I know you know. I think it's right. I'm going to make every effort so that you know these things and they define your life. It's incredible. It's incredible the privilege we have as believers to go to God's Word and to be motivated by it, to be furthered by it, to be grown and stretched by it. I mean, we get to pursue being like Jesus. It's awesome. And His Word is an invaluable tool in that. And then he adds this phrase in. He says, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up. Stir you up. That's a word that means wake up. Get active. Stop hanging out on the sideline. Stop dozing. Get in the game and do something. That's what this word means. That's why I love these verses. And this is an idea we see throughout Scripture, starting with the Old Testament. And what we see in the Old Testament is a beautiful reminder that this activity, this stirring up, it has to begin with God. We've said this before, we've said it again. If you remove Jesus from any of this, the whole house of cards crumbles. Or rather, it turns into a house of cards. You build it on Jesus, you've got a rock-solid building. You remove Jesus, you've got a flimsy structure I don't want to stand in. And in the Old Testament, we see that this stirring up, this rousing, this awakening, it begins with God. Psalm 81 to 2, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. So the stirring starts with God. It starts with Jesus. Then what does God do in that? Zechariah 9.13, and God's not asleep, okay? Pause. Don't don't misunderstand that. God's not asleep. We don't need to rouse him. We don't need to waken him up. But the activity begins with God. Zephaniah 9.13, For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword how cool is that verse God says I will stir up my people I will rouse my people I will awaken my people from slumber and I will wield them like a sword against the enemy what I get to be a part of the sword that God is going to wield against the enemy oh that's cool come on now that gets you fired up that's exciting That's the privilege of the church. And if that doesn't get you excited, if that doesn't get your blood flowing, if you're not like, yeah, let's run through a wall right now, man, maybe you need to wake up. Maybe you need to be stirred. Maybe that needs to be the prayer. Yeah, God, I've got to be honest. I heard that you want to stir me up and wield me like a sword, and I didn't bat an eye. Would you ignite something in me again? Zephaniah 9 is fantastic. And then what happens? What happens when God's people get stirred up? What happens when God's people awaken? When they move to activity? We encourage the rest of the church. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Your zeal, your activity, your passion, your fire, it's now stirring up the other churches. It's now spreading the fire. It's awesome. 2 Peter 3.1, which we're going to get to in a little bit. This is now, like in this series, not today. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of what? Reminder. Hebrews 6, 11-12, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, sluggish the opposite of stirred up. And then Hebrews 10, 24-25, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's a slightly different word in Hebrews 10. So the word in in 2 Peter is to arouse the mind, to render active. We translate it stir up. The word in Hebrew is also translated to stir up, but that word actually means to jab someone with enough force that it demands a response. And this is in the passage of don't neglect meeting together. Exhort one another. So yeah, one of the purposes of the church is, hey, wake up, get going. Here's the jab. Make a response. Peter says this is necessary. Scripture says this is, this is what begins with God. And then God stirs us up to be active in the battle. Our stirring up, our activity, our zeal, our momentum, it encourages the other church. It encourages the other believers. The fire spreads. The army strengthens. I've said it before, I'll say it again. What did Jesus say to Peter when he says, you're the rock, I will build this church? The gates of hell won't stand against you. Gates are defensive. The church is meant to be on the attack. You cannot be apathetically on the attack. You just can't the attacking team is not the one that sits back and waits for the action to get to them the attacking team is pushing forward it's stirred up to activity this is who we're called to be he lays this out I love it I I just I quite frankly do I also don't like it because every time I read it it honestly convicts me and it makes me ask am I stirred up Am I moving forward? Am I making progress? Am I fighting for these things? I mean, this passage this, passion's chal- this, this passage challenges too many words with G sounds. This passage challenges me. So I'm grateful for it. It's not always the easiest one to read, but it's always a beneficial one to be reminded of. And then directly contrasted to this, directly contrasted to Peter saying, "Hey, this is how I am called to teach you this is how i am called to teach he lays out a very brief introduction that we're going to get more into in two weeks when we get to chapter two in second peter he really lays out warning signs of false teachers so we're going to get to it more later but he starts to in these next couple of verses he gives one quick very early warning sign indicator of what not to listen to of who not to pay attention to And he's starting to now get into that meat of this letter of, hey, now the threat's internal. Now the threat is false teaching. Now the threat are teachings that are going to lead you astray. Let's make sure we're ready. We are stirred up to engage with those and not be swayed by those. So let me reread verses. It's going to say 17 to 21. It says 12 to 16. It's 16 to 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He goes on, he says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He opens it up and he says, look, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. That word myth, it means an idle tale. It means a fanciful story. And it's cleverly devised. That's a very deliberate phrase. This is a story. This is a, a tale that's meant to be engaging. This is a cleverly devised story that's meant to elicit a response. I said it before, we'll say it again since Peter starts off with reminders. Our enemy's not dumb. Our enemy is going to bait the hook in an appealing way, our enemy is going to do what is most effective. He fights dirty. He's going to attack us at our weakest. He's going to attack us at our most vulnerable. And it's going to be designed to lure us in. When you go fishing, it's why you bait the hook. So he says, don't get caught up in cleverly devised myths. Stories designed to elicit an emotional response, to make you intrigued, to make you, hey, I want more of that. And again, this isn't just Peter. This isn't just one isolated incident. 1 Timothy 1, to 3-4, to 4-7. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths." Rather, train yourself for godliness. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Titus 1, 13 to 14, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Fancy teachers, that's nothing new. Speculation, that's nothing new pointless stories that sound good, but don't teach people the truth. That's nothing new. Mike and I were talking this morning. It's so easy for us to say that things are worse now than ever before. It, this is the worst it's ever been. Like we invented heresy in the last 20 years. We invented false teaching in the last 20 years. We need Jesus now more than ever before What the people of 34 AD didn't need a savior. I mean, when you look at scripture, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun now there are some elements that scripture also says are gonna get worse right like the, these are the beginning of the birth pains I've never experienced birth pains thank you Lord a loved one has I know that it does not stay at the same level as when it starts so we're not talking about revelation we're talking about the idea of well false teaching and pro, you know like no, it's been there from the beginning I mean, how many times do the New Testament authors have to say, hey, church, please stop following these myths. You've got truth. Stick to it. So then what's the solution? We don't want to just leave it on don't do myths. That's what he starts with. He says, hey, don't pay attention to myths. But then he gives the alternative. He gives the answer. He gives what's right. And it's one of the solas. Scripture and Scripture alone the significance of Scripture, the weight of Scripture. And we have to understand what Scripture is. It's not just a collection of old writings. It's the Word of God. It is God speaking to His people. Exodus 24, 4, and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Isaiah 38, and now go, this is God speaking to Isaiah, Isaiah 38, and now go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. 2 Samuel 23, 1-2, now these are the last words of David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me, his word is on my tongue. Jeremiah 26, 1-2. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah this word came from the Lord thus says the Lord Speak to all the cities all the words that I command you do not hold back a word 1 Corinthians 2:13 and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual 1 Corinthians 14:37 If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2:13 And we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Old Testament what, four Old Testament, three New Testament? This is God's word. This is God breathed. This is God speaking to his people. The significance of this can never be lost on us. If I had a voicemail, I think we've debated this before as a church. I'm still right. Cal Ripken Jr., greatest baseball player to ever live. If I had a voicemail from Cal Ripken Jr., I would listen to that thing Every single day. I would be like, are you kidding me, Cal Ripken Jr.? I get to listen to Cal Ripken Jr. every single day? Infinitely greater than Cal Ripken Jr. is God's word. So, why don't we desire it? Why don't we delight in it? Why do we view it as a chore? Why do we view it as a task list? Why do we view it as a, oh, I've got to do this. No, I get to do this. I get to hear from God. I get to open Scripture and see the words of the Lord. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel who says, Your words are on my tongue. How many psalms did David write about delighting in the word of the Lord? Your word is a treasure. Your word is a lamp. I meditate on it. I mean, guys, we can't miss the significance of Scripture in guiding the church, in guiding us as the church, in driving our lives. These are the words of the Lord, they demand reverence, they demand priority. They ought to elicit zeal. It's incredible. And I want to address, uh, this was the sermon that I've chewed on, this was the part of the sermon that I've chewed on the most. I wanted to address something that I believe Peter uh, leads into when he gets here. And this is a teaching that is not new. You'll see that it's as old as humanity. But it's a a teaching that really attacks the significance of Scripture. It really attacks the weight of God's Word. I want to reread verse 20 to 21. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Where do we see the majority of biblical prophecies? Old Testament or New Testament? Old. Just look at the size. You see the majority of prophecies, that word prophecies, God foretelling, or in forth telling, in the Old Testament. But we also see them in the New Testament. Has revelation happened yet? No. So we see it in both, okay? All scripture breathed out by God yet from the beginning and persisting today is an attack on the plenary inspiration of scripture big word plenary i mean it's a short word but it's a big word plenary means complete or full so when we say scripture we believe in the plenary i say i believe in the plenary inspiration of scripture i'm saying i believe in the full inspiration of scripture It's not that the New Testament was given to us by God and the Old Testament was given to us by people. It's not that the Old Testament was given to us by God and the New Testament was given to us by people. No, I believe in the full inspiration of Scripture, the plenary inspiration of Scripture. So that means that all parts of the Bible are equally divinely inspired and should be significant in the life of the church, in believers. From the get-go, this has been under attack, and it persists under attack today. Marcion, if you've ever heard of Marcionism, starting in, he was born in 85, so if we say he started teaching around 20 or 30, I don't know exactly when he started teaching, but we're talking about within 100 years of Jesus' life. So we've got people who, I mean, we're not that far removed, we're not talking about generations and generations, we're talking about, oh yeah, my dad told me about hearing Jesus speak, or my grandpa was there when Jesus was crucified. We're talking about that kind of time range. And we've got a teacher who says well look we have the new testament jesus but he is very different from the old testament violent creator god so we reject the violent god of the old testament and we just you just need the new testament god marcionism tried to divorce the two toss out the old testament toss out the old testament god focus on the new testament wow i wish or i'm glad that that's not still going on today Uh, yeah it is there's a current nationally prominent pastor and we're not talking about the obvious guys we're not talking about the Prosper we're not talking about Cruffalo Dollar we're not talking about Kenneth Copeland we're not talking about Joel Osteen we're not talking about the obvious guys who teach prosperity gospel we're talking about a nationally prominent very popular pastor here are his quotes on the Old Testament Peter, James, and John divorced their faith, or I'm sorry, not divorced. Peter, James, and John unhitched their faith from the Jewish scriptures, and it's time we do the same. He said, I'm convinced we make a better case for Jesus if we leave the Old Testament or the Old Covenant out of the argument. I am convinced for the sake of this generation and the next generation, we have to rethink our apologetic as Christians, and the less we depend on the Old Testament to prop up our New Testament faith, the better because where we are in culture. I don't like a single word of those statements. We may I mean, really, let's unpack that. I'm convinced we make a better case for Jesus if we leave the Old Testament out of it. You know what Jesus used to make a case for himself the Old Testament so let's translate that quote I can make a better case for Jesus than he made for himself that's problematic and we swing too far the other way Judaizing well we still have to live under the Torah we still have to live under the Old Testament laws Starting in Acts 15, Galatians 2, you see the apostles have to address Judaizing. No, 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 the whole idea of New Testament grace, that's not real. You've got to do this. You have to submit to these rules and regulations. It's still all about the Old Testament law. And the apostles from the get are like, no, that's not the case. You can't toss this part out. Wow, I'm glad that's just stuck in the past and we don't still deal with it today. I lived with a guy in college for two years, who his, I shared this example earlier with some of us as we were talking. One of my buddies, his church didn't know that his family ate shellfish. Because if they would have found out that they ate shellfish, they would have been excommunicated from the church and it would have been said, they're not real Christians. You're not a real believer if you don't abide by... now there are people who choose to observe I'm not talking about Christians who are like hey you know what the Passover is a really cool meaningful thing let's do a Passover celebration." I'm not talking about willfully engaging with it to understand it and to appreciate it I'm not talking about that I'm talking about a legalistic if you are not abiding under Old Testament Torah law you are not a true believer that's still going on in the church today. Plenary inspiration has been under attack from the beginning and it persists under attack today. So rather than our interpretation of this, where should we go? Scripture. What does God say about the fullness of the text of the Bible? Psalm 105.8, he remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. Ecclesiastes 3.14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever, nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Matthew 5.18, Jesus speaking about the Old Testament, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Luke 4, 17 to 21, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord. So Jesus gets Isaiah, starts to read Isaiah, starts to teach Isaiah, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. John five forty six to 47 For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Acts eight thirty two to 35 Philip in the Ethiopian Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, no, I don't. What was he reading? Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Isaiah. Romans 15, 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. If you read Galatians 3, 15-18, really all of Galatians 3, Galatians 3, 15-18, it makes the point that the covenant God made with His people in the Old Testament was pointing to Christ. And if you want to understand Jesus as the Messiah, go back to those old covenants. 1 Timothy 5.18, for the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. He's citing Luke 10.7, and he refers to it as Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 2 Peter 3, 15-16, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Alright, so we're talking about Paul's writings. The wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures." The Bible refers to the Old Testament as scripture. The Bible refers to the New Testament as scripture. God refers to the entirety of his word as scripture. Shame on any pastor who advocates for a reduction or elimination or avoidance of either. Shame on me if I ever find myself making this grievous error. The elders need to remove me immediately The day I say, hey, let's just set aside the Old Testament. Hey, let's just set aside the New Testament. No, I'm done. I I genuinely think I'm disqualified the moment I say that. This is God's Word. This is Scripture. God says don't mess with it. How dare we say otherwise? So how do we deal with false teaching? Scripture. Knowing it treasuring it, storing it up in our hearts, building the church on it, allowing God's word to sanctify us. I mean, this is big, guys. This is big. So we need to be careful who we listen to. We need to be careful what podcasts we listen to, who we watch on TV, what books we read. It's subtle but it erodes what Peter calls the church to remember. We did not follow cleverly devised myths. We have the prophetic word fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to. So this week, as we consider these things, these reminders, this call to be stirred up, this beauty of the Old Testament, I picked these three chapters, These are, if you don't know these chapters, get excited for them. These are such great Old Testament chapters where you see Jesus, you see repentance, you see redemption. You see everything beautiful in the New Testament that people like to focus on. You see God talking about it in the Old Testament. So this week, let's read Psalm 22, let's read Isaiah 56, let's read Jeremiah 31. And let's appreciate the fullness of Scripture. Let's apply the Acts model as we consider these things, as we consider the message, as we consider the passage in 2 Peter. And then what's it say in Hebrews? Because, just a hint, I'm not the only one who should do stirring up. What's it say in Hebrews 10? And let us consider how the pastor may stir up other people. Is that what Hebrews 10 says? No... Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. It's the privilege of the church that we get to stir one another up. So this week, who could you encourage in their faith? Who could you stir up to love and good works? Let's sharpen one another. Let's exhort one another. Let's pursue being a sanctified body that submits to the word. Please join me in prayer. Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have given us. We thank you for how good you are to us. We thank you for the privilege of being your church. God, we we trust you. We do. Forgive us for when we forget it, but we trust you. We trust your sovereignty. We trust your omniscience, your omnipotence. You are on your throne. And we rejoice in that. So let us not grow discouraged. Rather than hear reminders, let us not focus on when we miss. Let us focus on the fact that you are patient and merciful and you give us an opportunity to persist, to proceed forward. When you return, may you find your bride ready and active.